Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is UXK. 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 I'm your host, Lee Allen Arredondo. Hello, UX Cake listeners. This week, UX Cake is introducing a new mini series called Learn UX, hosted by Leo Zhang. Leo started a meetup here in Seattle called Learn UX, and it's aimed at UXers more in their earlier to mid career. And they host really great speakers. For example, Tori Podmajerski, who we had on our show talking about strategic UX writing back in episode 33. So Leo's adapted some new content to a podcast format for UX Cake. And we're trying out a three-part series to see how that resonates with our listeners. So we totally want to hear what you think about this. We're going to start out this episode with a little intro discussion that I recorded with Leo. I also want to mention that this is a different format than most of the UX Cake episodes. The interviews are in person in an office, so the sound quality is a little bit different. I just want to ask you to please bear with us while we continue making improvements in future episodes. So Leo, I'm super excited to get the ball rolling with you. We've been talking about this for a little bit, and I would love to hear in your voice, what is Learn UX as a podcast with UXK? Thank you very much for having me. I really am excited to do this, and I've always had a passion of my meetup. And how it started was I just got out of grad school, and I used to be an engineer, but went to grad school for design in Arizona. And then I came back to Seattle and I wanted to get into UX because I'd heard about it, but I didn't know how to approach it. So I started going to all the meetups, LinkedIn. And you were in a product design background. Yes. I have my master's degree was industrial design mm-hmm. and my background was I was a mechanical engineer. But I was drawn to the research part about design. That was mm-hmm. my favorite part of it, the people aspect of it, discovery, finding out. So first I tried the whole just applying through the online portals for a couple of months, realizing that really didn't work out too well. Oh, looking for a job. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so I quickly realized this is a good city for meetups and I started going to a lot of them. And also quickly realized that me being more of an extroverted type and being all right with this, I was comfortable, but there are a lot of people that weren't comfortable with it. So with there was, what part of it? With going to a lot of meetups and networking? Yeah, okay. I understand it's, it can be draining, it's hard. So I started seeing this area where one, it was difficult for people to come to these events and network because some of the topics were a bit over their head when they were just trying to find out what UX was, what some oh, of the sure. basics were, yeah. uh, how to break in or, or have people help network and meet people. I was going to these events every night and I thought, you know, there's something missing here. And I think. I can help people like me because I was starting to get more established and build a network. So I thought, let's just try it. So this group came out and then I just told myself that I keep it free for people. I tailor it towards juniors and mids, people trying to find out about it, people that 
I thought needed the most help in this industry starting out. And I'd make content really relevant and unique for them. So it's still understandable and create an environment where they'd be happy and comfortable being in it. And that was the piece that you thought was missing when you were going to these? Yeah, I thought there wasn't anything that was directly catered to the people trying to break in, the people that are curious about it, the juniors. And us living in Seattle, I mean, you've seen it, tech and UX, it's a pretty hot industry. People want to be in it. And I've seen this since 2015 when the meetup first started. But since then, a few things have changed. But at the core, it still is for the people that are curious about it, people that want to break in, people that don't know what resources to start with. And I'm starting to make more and more meetup content to where it's still unique that draws in more senior talent. So we have better connections, better conversations, better networking. But the core, the series, mm-hmm. my meetup, everything that I want to do is to help those that are curious about it and want to learn more about it. So uh-huh. I guess, hence the Learn UX series. Yeah, <laughs> awesome. So there are a lot of UX Cake listeners. Like we have a pretty broad audience as far as the level of experience that mm-hmm. people have. Everything from people who are entry to people who are becoming managers or even leading teams and looking into how to be a better leader how we've talked about this is this is really for the people who are early career and mid-career. They are going to transition or are transitioning or have already transitioned. And so tell us a little bit about how you see this content as it relates to people in that space. So with this, I want to have it be a little bit parody of what I've done trying to do with my meetup. Like I said a little earlier, the the core is I want people to listen to this and have an understanding of some of the guests that I want to bring on of what they do from their perspective as maybe a hiring manager or as a director or as someone who can tell a story of here are my struggles breaking in, here are my struggles when I first started, here's how I overcame them. So helpful advice on that end for People that are curious about UX here in Seattle or it could be anywhere around the world. And I also want to make it so if that person who's talking, who has experience both starting out, telling about their stories, giving the listeners that are more junior an idea of what they can be doing, what the industry stands for, but also providing content to people more their level, the seniors, the hiring managers, the directors with, here's how I started out, but now... Here's how I'm progressing in my personal career. Here's how I'm growing. Here's what I've done at other companies. So yes, I will skew it a bit more towards my crowd, the people that are just breaking in our juniors, but there will be plenty of content and plenty of learning opportunities for all all your senior existing listeners as well. Well, I think it's really important to remember that the people who are coming into the field now are the people who are going to be the leaders. Absolutely. Not to far in the future. Yeah. And I think it's really important for us to think about that as a discipline and how things are changing like really quickly as more people are coming in and as you know business and technology changes mm-hmm. and there's new ideas coming a lot of the people who are transitioning into UX are actually coming not from college they're coming from other disciplines. And so they're bringing a lot of new ideas with them. And I think that is actually going to invigorate our discipline. And those 
are going to be the leaders in the future. So we want to make sure that everybody is feeling included and understanding the need for inclusion and the need for uh, these basic principles in design and and understand the history as well of where people now have been, possibly. You know, I completely agree with you when you say that this field, while it is growing very fast, you've seen it ever since I came here in 2015 and I barely recognize it from what it was then to what it is now. It's moving so rapidly. But you touch on a very important topic that I've seen personally in my group, my meetups and uh, the community that I'm part of is that it's very rare to hear anyone with a direct route that they knew they want to do this all the way. I've talked with architects, people in the medical profession, business. I mean, you name a profession and I bet there's someone in UX doing it. And I also agree with you on that. I think that's what makes this industry so special and unique and part of why it's growing so fast, I think, because yeah, there's that direct design knowledge and direct knowledge of what user experience is. But when you bring all that previous experience, previous, that's what makes it really interesting. That's what makes people in this industry very interesting. And that's part of why I'm so drawn to it. Mm-hmm. And Seattle, too. I mean, you and I talked about this briefly, but Seattle, while the Bay Area had a head start, I'd say that we are at this point, we're growing fast for tech. And I think you and I talked about this too, but this is one of the, is it the only podcast coming out of Seattle for UX? I think it's the only one that I know of. (laughs) It's the only one that I know of, (laughs) but it's a great city. Another reason why I keep doing the meetup, I keep planning events, organizing just by myself. And I mean, you know how much it takes to do it. You do a whole episode of how much stuff you do and still hold it together. It's pretty amazing. (laughs) But the reason I love doing this is because we have a great community. And it it makes all this worth it. Yeah. And I'm super excited to be amplifying this to people in Vancouver, BC, people in Iowa and people in Memphis and people like we have listeners all over. So Mm -hmm. people in Ireland and UK and Australia and like, I can't list all the countries where we have (laughs) listeners, India, but I think the UX maturity in every place is is at a different level. Like you sort of alluded to the UX maturity maybe being different in the Bay Area mm-hmm. versus Seattle. And I have definitely seen that as I talk to people in other countries, especially. Yep. It also changes by industry and so on and so forth. So I'm excited to see where this goes i really want to hear what people have to say about it so i hope that we can get some really engaged listeners who will tell us what they think yeah i'm really excited to be a part of this uh this is something i've always wanted to do been curious about and you're giving me the vehicle to do it and i really appreciate it and i'm really looking forward to what we can do together yeah me too i'm excited happy to be working together leo this is gonna be fun yeah it will (laughs) thanks Welcome to the first Learn UX UX Cake podcast episode. Today, I'm going to be talking with my very good friend, Rory, someone who has been right there with me since I first started in this industry. Someone's been a mentor to me, someone who has a lot of experience. He's sitting right next to me, so I'm going to stop talking about him and just let him introduce himself. So, Rory, can you please tell us a little bit about your name, who you are, what you do, and... Your favorite part about UX? All right, that's a lot to cover. Hi, everybody. I'm Dory Bemanakam. We'll worry about the spelling of my last name later. You can Google it if you like. 
I've been doing this for about 20, uh, for, for, for years. I'm currently director of product design at Sonar Systems. What was the favorite part about you? That was Some, <laughs> something you really like about this industry. What, something what, what like is that keeps you in this industry and has kept you in it for so long? How much time do we have? <laughs> I think it's the opportunity to really find always something else new to learn. It's filled with a bunch of really smart, really curious people. That's always what kind of gets me going. Like, let's, let's go learn something. I couldn't have asked for a better lead into what I want to talk to you about in this one. So I do what I can. I have known you for a while. And one of the things you've written multiple articles about it, one of the things that you and I have talked about before and I've actually seen from you is the idea of mentorship. And it's something that, unless I'm completely off, something you're passionate about. So you have a lot of experience. So I'd like the main topic to be around hiring and mentorship for a conversation. And to start off with that, I guess I would just like to ask you with your fascination with mentoring, where did this come from for you? If I were to set the Wayback Machine and think about where this kind of started being a focus for me, the two key things that really come to mind is when I started getting more involved with the mentoring program at Microsoft way back in the first decade of the century. Is that weird to say? Um, <laughs> It gave me an opportunity to really connect with other designers who potentially are struggling with the same challenges I am and build some rapport and connection and share some knowledge. And I found that really invigorating. I felt like it started to really solidify when I did a two-year run at Filter as head of their digital studio. I had the opportunity to work with a lot of freelancers and contractors and because a big part of their business was recruiting, I spent a good chunk of my time reviewing resumes and portfolios and talking to designers who are various degrees of of experience up and coming. Yeah. Uh, Also, veterans who have been doing this so long that they're now defined as independent consultants. But it, it really helped me realize that I have a passion for mentoring and teaching that's almost as strong as my love of UX. And it's something that's helped really kind of drive me as a leader. Yeah. Um, Help drive you as a leader. Can you talk about that a little bit more? I guess specifically because, again, my Learn UX group is more tailored towards the entry level to mids who are the ones who arguably, I'm not saying seniors don't need it, but are the ones that would be most benefited from this sort of mentoring, from mm. this sort of directional guidance. So I guess I can ask a bit more specific version mm. of that question is when you have an opportunity to mentor or talk with anything revolving people who are entry level to mid, how do you generally approach that? Well, I first start by listening. I don't really have any ability to share meaningful knowledge with anyone, regardless of how long they've been doing this job or any job uh, until I kind of get a sense of who they are, where they are. Um, if somebody comes to me with a specific problem or concern or question, that makes it a lot easier. But many times there are points where I just connect with a designer yeah. and it's really kind of a, you know, seek first to understand if I were to you know, plagiarize Stephen Covey. Once I do that, then I can start playing around with ideas and get a sense of what have you tried? Uh, I try to avoid diving right into the like, well, here's what you should do. Like, right. here's, whoa, whoa, you know, because that 
I've done that in the past and it has been some painful lessons to say like, oh yeah, well, they've already tried this. Yeah. So a lot of it really is, it's given me an opportunity to practice active listening. Active listening. That's kind of where I started. And then we just go from there. It's, there's really no script. There's really no kind of regiment. You know, mm-hmm. I know that there are a lot of books and articles and methodologies about mentoring. And it's why I've kind of tried to avoid that topic because it's been well covered. Yeah. It's mostly just thinking about my own journey as a mentor and say, okay, what problems have I encountered? And can I take my years of experience and package it in a way that says, here's the way to do it? I do want to talk about your initial article, the I believe it's called Mentoring as a Mitzvah. Yes. (laughs) So I do want to dive into that. But you brought up one thing that I want to cover a little bit. Active listening is something that we in this field, we have to do all the time because we're so user-centric and we are users that are reasons we even have work. Starting out, you were saying that as you move along your career, you were also growing both in your field and as a mentor. Mm -hmm. And earlier on, you mentioned when you first started, you just jump right into, well, here's what you should do, here's what... So I'm wondering if you can talk about your personal growth as a mentor through the years. You talked about active listening being the key of what you do. People listening, like, this is interesting. I want to learn more about it. Tell you a little bit about how you grew as a mentor and some of the hardships you overcame to really kind of dial it in and be able to write these articles. Yeah, I think in addition to learning how to be a better listener, which I'm still doing, um, (laughs) (laughs) the biggest thing that really motivated me to start capturing this stuff in any form of an article is really the, there is the tender trap of servant leadership. And it's one of the things that's drawn me towards, you know, helping somebody with the next chapter of their career. It's that whole, you know, if I have to give it, I'll give it. But there's also a sense of self-awareness that I still, even today, have to really be dialed in because in the past, I have not been as good as I am now with the gift of no. And I see, oh, I can help that person with this. And it's that it can get addictive you know, where you, yes. you get that psychic income of seeing that light bulb go off with somebody else where you give them this path to dissolution. But there is that pragmatic part around time management and being self-aware around how much of yourself you're giving away to this. And that's something that anybody who is a servant leader or a catalyst or somebody who is really driven by adding value to people around them, that they can get lost in that. And that's something that happened to me many times that I had to pull myself out of, right? I got to a sense of overwhelm and I just said, okay, I'm done. I'm going to have to like stop doing any kind of mentoring or any kind of like X, Y, Z for period of months or years and had to give myself time and space to reset that. It all kind of levels up to self-awareness, really understanding also, why you're doing it. If I were to be completely candid uh, with myself and with all the with all our people, listeners, everybody listening, <laughs> I think I also had to be honest with myself about one key question: Am I doing this for my own ego? That's a that's a really good question to ask yourself, and it's one of the things that helped me pivot my approach to mentoring and creative leadership and even design critiques in my youth, I tended to say a lot more and ask a lot less. As I said, I'm I'm still learning and I'm not perfect at it, but I tend to focus more on asking questions these days rather than 
trying to jump in and, for lack of a better term, be the smartest person in the room. I found that in my past, when I took that, just tell them what they need to know, it actually didn't add value to the mentor because what some of my mentors have shared with me in, in reflection is by just handing them the information and solving the problem for them or talking them through it too densely or too much, you're actually taking away an opportunity for that person to do the learning on their own. That's a really important part of the journey. So I had to, had to be really self-aware about, let me step back and let this person practice their craft, whatever it is, give them a couple of thoughts and ideas to move forward with and see where it goes. You brought up something that with mentor, I don't know if it's, I personally also really enjoy it. And there's one thing that I sometimes struggle with, and I know this can be a struggle from both the mentee side and the mentor side. Sometimes you get someone that has a direct question or knows I'm weak in this point. I'd like your help and mentorship to help me with that. They could be self-aware of it, but sometimes you get someone, and I feel like this is more often than not, because it's a complex field that doesn't quite know. Would you have any advice or guidance for both like the mentee, like, hey, if you don't know what you need mentorship on, here's what you can, some things you can think about. And on the other end, as a mentor, if you get approached with someone who doesn't quite know what they want mentorship in, how you can navigate that? That's a pretty meaty question. Let's <laughs> um, try and break it down a little bit. Yeah. It's interesting that the whole topic of they don't know what they don't know about what they need to improve on. It's that, again, that self-awareness part. Everybody's got blind spots. You know, humans are messy. We're all gloriously imperfect. I think a lot of that, if I were to tap into what we know about UX, it's a lot of it comes from direct observation. And for me to give advice to someone about specifically what they might or might not need to work on, I have to have a good enough understanding of who they are as an individual. And I think that's where, if it's an obvious question, yes. You know, I had a, I actually had a question from a designer on LinkedIn recently. It's like, hey, you know, what do I do when my boss doesn't care about research? My first question, you know, of course, I answered a question with a question. First thing I asked him was, is that a factor? Is that a feeling? Is that your perception of what they're doing? Or is that actually what's happening? And after a little bit of back and forth to unpack it, it helped me better understand the context of where this designer was coming from. And that helped me provide a little bit more active guidance, but Got it. it's almost like a little bit of improv where you have to just step in and read the room and kind of look around and go, what's happening and how do I add value to move this scene forward without completely shutting down the energy by just talking at them too much yeah. or saying, well, here's what you need to do. And that's not the right thing because they're like, well, I already did that. And then where are you? In our current Seattle market where UX is tech in general is booming pretty big here. And with the juniors and career transitioners that are such a core part of my group, I get a lot of requests for it. And I don't blame them for not knowing because it is a very complex and rapidly growing, changing year to year industry. Oh, yeah. So yeah, so that's kind of what I was getting at. If people in your end, they get approached for mentorship and they don't know how they can start sussing out 
how they convince them without overwhelming them or making it helpful. And one of the things that I mentioned was rambling on about in my article is there is this perception that mentoring needs to take a lot of time. And it's really, there's opportunities if you're paying attention to be able to quote unquote, I'm doing the air quotes here on the microphone. (laughs) There's an opportunity to provide that mentoring value in a very short amount of time, even if it's just pointing somebody in the right direction. Absolutely. Somebody on LinkedIn, the whole LinkedIn people looking for advice thing. I I think it's very helpful uh, and it helps create that specificity. Send out that message. Who has knowledge in this arena? I need to understand SEO better as an example. Yeah. I personally would not have any clue on how to do that, but I know a person. And if it's just, hey, here's somebody that you can potentially connect with. That in and of itself is a form of mentoring because you're creating avenues for knowledge capture that you don't necessarily have to do yourself, but you can nudge them in the right direction. Sometimes that's enough. The idea of being a connector, you're still actively helping them point them in the right direction. And is that along those lines? Yeah. So then you talked about, you need to know more about SEO. So this goes back to even someone of your position, someone who's been in this for a long time, someone who does more mentoring, still, I mean, I might say, seeks mentoring and some stuff, seeks knowledge. Oh, so then this will be good for our more senior listeners along those of How would you approach it? How would you try to find a mentor in your position as opposed to the more junior career transitioners? It's, that's a really interesting question because <laughs> I, I actually just went through that process again where like every year or so based on where I am in my career and what have I kind of identified I need to learn next. Yeah. What's the next most important thing I need to learn? Yeah. I've actually recently started working with a new mentor myself. I'm under NDA. I can't talk about who she is, but she's a badass. And she's just in the last few months has really given me a lot to think about. Fantastic. For me, the focus is really repositioning my leadership mindset because I learned about a year ago that I over-index on servant leadership. Uh, can you dive into that a bit more, over-index servant leadership? So for the folks in the audience who don't know what servant leadership is, it's essentially a flavor of leadership where it's really focused on coaching and collaboration. And you know, your org chart is upside down. Your goal is to really facilitate the success of the people that are in your care. And one of the things that I've been focusing on as kind of a learning journey for me is as part of my role here as head of design for Zonar, I have the opportunity and the benefit of having some designers who are very comfortable giving me some very valuable feedback. And thankfully, because I have an Israeli background, it's very hard to offend me. <laughs> um, they know that they can be, um, if I were to use, I've already used the, the Kim Scott phrase, radically candid with me. It's a, it's a very powerful. It is. It's been very enlightening and it's been challenging at times. The focus for me is really to be open to that feedback and be curious about why are they reacting like this or why do they think this? Yeah. Or why do they believe that I need to think differently about X, Y, Z? For senior level folks, I think that's one of the biggest challenges. The further you get into your career, 
the more you know about more things and you have this body of knowledge that's swimming around in your head. At least I'm glad that I learned about this thing called the Dunning-Kruger effect really early in my career, that whole trap of the confident amateur. And having been in that trap myself, like I thought I knew everything. I think being able to be honest with yourself and say, I'm going into this new space in this new environment. This is a little unknown for me. It's okay for me not to know everything or not have all it. And to be able to get past that peak of the confident amateur and realize that the real knowledge is about looking at what else there is to learn and being willing to go, I really don't know as much as I thought I did about effective leadership. So let me go find somebody and study at the feet of the master. Let me learn as much as I can and absorb as much as I can so that I can put it into practice and see what works for me. Is it a common thing the higher up you get, the more experience you get and the higher level mentorship you seek? These MDAs are common. This is the first time I've ever heard of a mentor-mentee-MDA relationship. Uh, me too. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> like, uh, it was kind of like, really? Right? Yeah. But, you know, there are reasons. Yeah, it's a first for me too. So it made me a little curious about it because I would say this is the first this is the first mentor that I've been able to connect and build a relationship with that I would say is at that level Absolutely. in our industry. Yeah. So I honestly don't know if it's common or not. This is my first experience with it, but I'm certainly curious about it. It sounds like you're really enjoying it and getting a lot out of it. Yeah. I want to sidetrack a little bit because you brought up something very interesting, the idea of radical candor or being radically candid. I'm just going to wager, I guess, you haven't always been in this type of environment, this type of environment where you actively promote radical candor and you get this sort of feedback from people who are organizationally and experientially on you as below you or less than you, but you, you get what I mean. No, sorry, so in that aspect, are you noticing any difference with the way you work, the way you learn, your, your personal growth in this sort of environment, what's different about it from this and your other where you haven't had it? I think that I probably was in those environments without realizing it mm-hmm. in the past. And I think part of why I wasn't realizing it is because, I mean, if we're going to use the framework from the book, copyright, Tim Scott, Radical Candor, look up the book, <laughs> it's great, it's awesome, everybody should read it. I think in the past, I tended to float more towards obnoxious aggression rather than radical candor because I didn't know the difference. Okay. And I think that was one of those points of enlightenment. And I think the value of this mindfulness framework that is part of this book and part of this movement that really help me step back and look at what am I doing to either help or harm in the conversations that I'm having. And, you know, like I said, uh, we're all gloriously imperfect. I'm certainly not perfect at this. You know, we can bring in my, you know, folks on my team and they can, you know, like this whole other podcast, <laughs> like, let me tell you a little bit about, you know, and then he said, <laughs> um, I think that's, that's really part of the, part of the journey is, you may be in that environment without understanding it or realizing it. And it first comes to the look at what you're doing and how you're speaking that is generating reactions with the, the people that, that you're working with. And it seems like this theme of what we're talking about is really about mindfulness and self-awareness. But I think that's really, that's really key for a lot of people in this yeah. professional industry. 
very relevant as our industry grows year in, year out, where your dynamics are changing in the office, the way we talk to each other are changing. And at the core, UX is you got to be an empathetic person, understand, otherwise you're not going to make it. So I, I actually do want to follow into that because as part of this, I want to make sure that I cover topics that would be valuable to my core audience. Mm-hmm. For those juniors and mids, career transitioners, either going through a program currently in a job hunt, looking to make a career transition, even on a hiring manager side, even on a mentor side, how can they be more, for lack of better words, appealing, more unique, more memorable than hiring managers? Anything that would help them stand out in this hyper-competitive market of UX? Oh, God. I know. Such a hard one. <laughs> there is no one answer to this. There is, and I, I but tend to you bristle. have a special take on it, though. I tend to bristle when we get into this, like, oh, what's the one thing that I could do to stand out or yeah. be differentiated? My father always said it takes two to tango, and I think one of the challenges that we're having in this industry is there is a commoditization of how we're looking at these roles and these disciplines, and. You know, having spent time in the recruiting industry, I completely understand that recruiting itself is a grueling, tiring, really, really hard and mostly thankless job. And it's a volume commodity job. And it's being augmented by that, by all of these AI constructs that pre-sort and pre-filter based on keywords that are arbitrarily defined. And it makes it hard for candidates to really understand okay, what do I need to do to resonate with this person? How do I even get past that machine layer to go, how do I get a conversation with a real human? A real person, yeah. exactly. And I would say that a lot of the advice that I've been seeing lately off and on is it's kind of that hipster mindset. Like I'm going to wear, I'm going to wear the exact same fedora as everybody else because I want to look different but everybody's wearing the same fedora. So how do you really stand out? And I think standing out is not really about fitting one model or one approach or write your resume this way or have 17 different resumes for a particular position and make sure that your keywords match. That's important. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. You have to be able to understand how those computer algorithms are vetting your resume or your LinkedIn profile against what you're seeking. But it really comes down again to, you have to own your story. And for me, what you're good or not good at in terms of skill or capability is less important than can I suss out, do you believe that this is the right path for you? Like I've I've talked with enough design students in the past to be able to suss out, okay, this, if I were to use the the quote from Star Wars, like, ah, oh, we shall be watching your career with great interest, <laughs> young Jedi. I, I can get that. It's that je ne sais quoi, that, that umami of the person when they're talking about what they're doing. And when I ask them questions like, hey, so why did you decide to pursue a career in UX? Yeah. And if I see them kind of go within themselves and get that little glint in their eye and they start talking about it from the heart, that's a big tell for me. That means that they're driven to be the best version of themselves they can be within this career, regardless of where they are now. Yeah. And that's different than encountering people who are in going through design programs or design schools that I look at them and go, 
Yeah, you thought art college was going to be easier than real college, didn't you? <laughs> Welcome to the tribe. Right. So I think a lot of that is, you know, here we go with that phrase again, self-awareness. Mm-hmm. It's being willing to be honest with yourself about where you are in yeah. your career. And if you have the if you have the chutzpah to stand in front of a hiring manager, if you get to that point yep. and go, yeah, I'm a design student. I have two years under my belt. This is what I've got to show. Here's how I'm telling you the story to show you the potential that I have to not just do this job, but think this job. And I think that's one of the big keys for me that differentiate somebody who's, who's going to have an amazing career in UX versus not is, are you focused on not just doing the job, but thinking the job? Are you always looking at the what if, the how might we, the what's next, the not perfect, but better, looking at those places where we can continue moving the bar forward to facilitate greater understanding and empathy. Because what we're doing is literally solving problems for other human beings. For other people that we have to understand in a very... Yeah. That's one of the things that I'm very privileged to have spent years figuring out on my own, you know, occasionally with the help of mentors, which has been very appreciative. Thank you to all of those out there. It's really thinking about like, what are we really designing? To be able to look at your work from that perspective, it's not an app, it's not a product, it's not a service or a, a user interface or whatever term you like, I designed that or whatever term is in a JavaScript. If you can look at your work through the lens of, I'm designing an outcome for another human being. Being honest with your work doesn't mean like, oh, my work is awful and I'm just a student. I don't have anything to show for it. You always have an opportunity to look at what value do I believe this is going to generate for another human being? Even if it's just, hey, I did a brand design for this small business. Well, what's the value of that brand design? What mistakes did you make? If I'm looking at somebody's work and all I see is finished work, I can't get a sense of their thought process and their journey. If somebody's willing to show in their work or talk about like, yeah, so I had this and it was a fail. <laughs> we, we did it. it was like we went down this road and it was like, oh my God, here's what we wasted. Here's what we learned though. That's really the key. Show me how your work helped you learn to be a better designer or a better UX practitioner. Show me the mistakes. Because if you say, we went down this road, that was really wrong. But here's how we pivoted and got to a better place. Even if it's a student project, even if it's you learning about team dynamic and collaborating with other students, because that's the messiest part about it. Show me that story. I really didn't know how you would answer that. but I didn't either. <laughs> but that, that was fantastic because it still stays true with your theme of being self-aware, knowing what you want out of this, knowing. And then the idea of not trying to have all the right answers and being vulnerable, being like, yeah, this sucked. This was terrible. I did it wrong. But here's how I go about telling the entire story. And I know that it's going to resonate a lot with the people on the job seeking side, the people who are trying to find work. And a lot of that will resonate too with the people on the other side, the hiring managers. It would give them mm-hmm. more to think about as opposed to looking at, hey, let's just look at the technical accuracy of this. Let's hear them tell their story. If this was something that you honed and grew into as your role as someone who does hiring, can you talk about if growing into this mindset, realizing that this is a good mindset and will help you find good talent? 
I imagine there's a time where you, you didn't quite follow this structure, didn't quite have this mindset. Am I right? Yeah, there was definitely uh, painful lessons along the way. What are some of those painful lessons? Wow. How much time do you have? <laughs> uh, if I were to rewind to some of my time at Filter, looking at how I was gauging talent and capability, I think the most painful lessons that came out of that was there were a couple of situations where I thought that I had the right fit in terms of capability, tangibles. They're like, yep, they have three plus years with X. They know how to use this program. They've demonstrated that they can do user flows. They have the skills that the person who needs somebody in this role have identified as this is what's going on. This is what I mean. But what I didn't do was have the right conversation with both the job seeker and the job poster. You know, a lot of the situations that filter were, were placing contracts. Absolutely. So that part of the industry is a lot of it is really about we got to get butts in seats. We got to get work done. But what I realized is the tangible match is important, but you need to understand what tribal culture you're inserting somebody into. Because if that individual doesn't exhibit some of the same cultural traits, or they have a different point of view, or they different, have a different way of thinking, or they have a different tribal language even, like they speak differently about how they do their work, and it's not compatible with how the tribe thinks, that is going to create tension and friction with that workspace that will actually prevent that person and that team from realizing maximum value from that, that, yeah. that map. <clears throat> It's rapport. You have to like, are you guys going to get along? Because whether you're a contractor or no, you're going to spend a third of your life with these people for a span of weeks, months, or years. I think that was where it really clicked with me that, oh yeah, I got to make sure that like, I'm not sending <laughs> brilliant jerks into this really, really space or I'm not sending, as an example, hypothetically, I wouldn't send somebody who is a force of nature into a tribe or a group that is more collaborative and more of a meritocracy. Right. Because that would be a too dominant force in that tribe and it would create friction. It would have a negative impact on their ability to do the job, which in turn will affect the quality of their output. Because happy designers are productive designers. It's something that I'm still learning to this day. I'm still trying to figure out how to help my current team work together better. And there have been times in the last year and a half where I haven't done a great job at it, but that's okay. You know, it's a difference between, you know, that was wrong versus I'm wrong. Yeah. To that point of making sure that there's, there's at least a compatibility around soft skills. And that's still, I mean, it's not even just with hiring. It's yeah. ensuring that, I have a designer that I have to allocate to a particular project team. Here, I have to, I, I have to actually pay attention to whether or not the personalities are going to clash. And that's, you know, that actually came to, you know, bite me in the butt uh, a while back here. Yeah, and I had to, uh, I had to really step back and go, hmm, no, that was not the right decision. So let me see how I can fix that. That's really good. So I want to now start. Wrapping up, I want to tell the listeners, I'll link all this in a write-up. There'll 
Jory's two articles, the mentoring is a mitzvah, and then going along with this mentoring no hires, the most recent one, they just came out this month, right? Yes. So I'll link both of those. They are both on par with everything that was said here. They are more specific focused ways. And if you made it this far, and I'm guessing you're in, I think I borrowed that line directly from your journal. If you made it this far, then damn it, you got me. So that being said, and if any of this made sense, because my new mentor has told me, you need to use fewer words. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I know. Brevity is the soul of which I get it. This is, this was all about you. I want to hear your thoughts on this. So in that being said, is there anything else you'd like to talk about? The classic UX researcher. Is there anything else that you missed you'd like to talk about? Anything I didn't bring up? No, I think it's been fun to just kind of shoot the breeze on this. I would say that I'm still in my head is echoing the, you know, what, what are the things that junior designers really need to understand as they go into this world? Yeah. Um, and it's not even just junior designers. It's are you new to the industry? Are you new to the company? There's an opportunity for you to own your story in a way that doesn't extend across the line of confidence into arrogance. Because one of the things that we tend to struggle with is design and UX having a seat at the table. And that's a podcast right there. That's a separate topic. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll try and like be, I'll, I'll be brief. I'll be brief. I think that there is the subtle art of diplomacy that is involved in getting a seat at the table. And I think the way I've tried to do it in the past has failed miserably, where I have said, I don't have a seat at the table. So I'm going to stand in the middle of the table and talk really loudly in my best stage voice (laughs) so that you will pay attention to me. And that doesn't work. It doesn't work because most of the other people across those other disciplines, in various degrees, either don't completely or don't understand at all what value you bring to the table. So one of the valuable lessons that I'm picking up during my time at Zonar here is um, Zonar is very much a show-me culture. And uh, I've actually gotten the feedback quite a bit like, okay, you've talked about this enough. Give us some examples of how you've demonstrated what you've done. Show us the value. I think getting a seat at the table also involves identifying what I like to call design and UX sympathizers in the environment. Who are those people that are, is there a developer that is UX savvy or design savvy? Uh, Do you have dev managers who genuinely believe that you know the definition of an agile team includes everyone who delivers a meaningful vertical slice of value to a customer do you have an executive who really understands what you're trying to do even if they don't understand your discipline or your role completely but they're coming at it from a growth mindset and they're they're willing to provide that air cover absolutely to help you Get a seat at the table. So getting a seat at the table often involves making sure that you're getting the invite from the right person. That's some solid bonus content right there. A little bit. I like to say thank you one more time. There's multiple reasons why I wanted to have you kick all this off for me, but the most prevalent one is as 
I'll tell our listeners more about this, but when I was first getting my start in UX, I had a degree in industrial design and I was finding ways because I was more, I was so passionate about the research and strategy of people side of it. So I was trying to find ways for my portfolio to tell my story about, Hey, I did product design, but here's why I love research. And so I was trying to find a pivot into UX research. And this was when you were still a creative director at Smashing Ideas. And this is when I joined your team. The role I had with you on your team was my first foray into all things UX and everything that I'd gone to grad school for, everything I gambled and quit my job to do all this for. And I've heard stories that go two ways. The first role they love and they realize this is for me, just works out good. Or their first role, they, after going through all that, like, Maybe it was a bad role something and it wasn't for them. And that breaks my heart because I talked to so many people like that. I've told you before, but I had a great experience with you. So I want to thank you again for Thanks. everything you helped me out with, uh, showing me the way, leading me in the right direction and doing this with me. So thank you. Thank you for your time today. I appreciate that. That's uh, Honestly, all I did was give you an opportunity to show the tribe what you're good at and what you've learned. It's just putting into practice that knowledge that you have and being willing to fail early and often along the way and let's just look at it and go oh okay well let's i could have gone better <laughs> let's try it again yeah so. so that being said this wraps up our talk and awesome thank you thanks again. this was a lot of fun